Welcome back to In Transit, a podcast dedicated to the vibrance and potential of East African culture. Picking up where we left off last time with Malcolm, the Ugandan filmmaker and musician known in some sense as Mr. Mangwa. Malcolm is the creator of the three-part web series titled Who the Hell is Mr. Mangwa? A mockumentary centered around his artist persona at the time. Serving as the writer, director and occasional actor depicting what is in essence himself is quite the meta display of an artist exploring the polymathic skill set without taking themselves all too seriously. We spoke more on his influences, touching on how his musical experiment with the lo-fi traditional dancehall sound, popular in the region, led to something larger. Listening to a lot of dancehall yeah. for a very long time, I had no idea what most of those guys were saying. Uh, and like, was a, when it was in part, when it was in part one, when it was, I see. and um, this really just started off with me and a friend of mine just kind of making fun of how, as Ugandans, we really don't understand most of what's going on yeah. in like dancehall songs. Yeah. But the way we love dancehall, my guy, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> The same way we never understood what was happening in all those Lingala songs. Right. We don't know what's happening in a lot of these like Niger Afrobeat songs. Yeah. But the way we get down. It's it's kind of scary. So I was like, okay, what if we just make the thing gibberish? <laughs> let's just like, okay, <laughs> let's have no words and still see if people still like it. And the response has been interesting. For me, I think the first time I experienced it, like I was at the um, the Underground Chaos show where we first met. Ooh, yeah, in the industrial area. Yeah. And I was like... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, my brother had kind of briefed me about it. He told me, "Yo, like it's interesting. It's out of the box. You've probably never seen anything like it." And <laughs> his the context that he provided was that like if you've ever seen a traditional MC, like what the okay. idea of an MC was when that was a profession that like you're gonna have a DJ and you're gonna have someone who's like working the crowd. It might not be a rapper, so to speak. But it's going to it's going to hold the energy. Sure. And I was like kind of blown away. A literal MC, yeah, man. I and I guess that to be honest, that's not even like what 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 where I was even going with that. Really. But the the idea was just kind of inspired by just like a very. It was inspired by listening to a lot of like eighties dancehall. Yeah. And that is kind of the style that comes across because that I guess was still the form at the time, you know. Right. So just that thing of just being like, man, let's just like the, like the MC isn't even the star of the show, you know. Yeah. The MC is just to keep people dancing to what the DJ is playing. Exactly. I'm very curious. Do you put together songs with that in mind that they're more so going to exist in a live setting as opposed to like listen to intimately? Oh man, I I think for one man, it's one of those things where maybe the process just kind of defined what that was. Uh, uh, I think for one, my my not being like an act, I I don't know. I still kind of struggle to call myself a musician. Mm-hmm. And I still see myself very much as a filmmaker first and foremost. The the doing of this still really just came out of just trying to have a bit of fun, man. Like myself and this guy were at a party. Myself and Slickback actually, who produces the music, were at this party. And someone was playing just like some rhythms in the background. Yeah. And we just started talking about how, man, shit, we really love dancehall, but like we don't know like most of what these guys are saying. Yeah. And we just started like kind of scatting and just like just doing little bits of things that sounded interesting. And somebody thought it was like an actual song. Yeah. So we're like, okay, that's proof of concept. Yeah. Someone's like, yo, guys, what song is that? That's like, okay, <laughs> surely there's something here. True. So we kind of forgot about it. Donzilla in the house, he reminded us like a week later, like, yo, guys, you ever record that song? So when we did, 
that's when the world started kind of really coming together. That's when like the name started, there were a bunch of, I guess, different influences and things from my past that I had, I guess, put in the fridge a bit and just yeah. been like, it would be nice to do that. But like, let me just put that aside. Yeah. So that just kind of brought everything together and the recording of the music started to build the world, you know, it started right. to kind of create who this character was, who, oh. where they exist, what point in time they exist. Okay. Um, what's happening to them, who are they, um, what are they, because I realized um, it, it was still easier for me as a filmmaker and to develop the story than the songs. I see. If that makes sense. I see, that so does make like sense. like the framework for the songs to begin to exist and they kind of fed each other back and forth. Um, I, I was going to say, I guess it's, um, it wasn't even supposed to be a web series initially. I, did you ever see Buju Banton's Driver A? Eh? No. Is this a movie? So, I, and I say see because it's no, because I saw the music video and that's what really like gripped me. Oh. I saw the music video for, and it's just Buju Banton, just like, it's, it's him in like a suit directing this driver who's also like super like immaculately dressed and he's got like a top hat on and stuff and he's like just sending him places to do shady things. I remember just being like, man, it would be so cool to do like a series of like music video things that kind of tell a story and go back. Oh my God, I just realized. I'm sure that too was like an Okay. So later on, when the music started to become a thing, it was easy to go back and be like, oh, I always wanted to make a thing about like a part-time gangster, part-time like dance hall figure and like turn that into a visual music video thing. Yeah. And I guess it grew from there. My um, question now is, what does this world look like going forward? Because the music exists now the web series exists is your plan to maybe build on it in different mediums what's your what's your vision with with what you've accomplished so man the i guess the the web series to be honest wasn't even supposed to be a web series and what what really happened was we were trying to make a feature film okay and um me and the producer grace we um the producer of this film of the web series um we were trying to develop this thing and make it a thing and at some point, I was writing it, and I was just having a hard time writing a feature-length thing. I'd never written a feature-length thing. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's something that I just kind of saw as very almost sacred and, oh, my God, it's feature-length. Will it be good? Will it be good as my short stuff? And I just wanted it to, like, and it took a while, you know. And at a certain point, um, at the end of last year, we'd been trying to get funding. We'd been trying to do these things. And we had a certain amount of script, but we didn't have the entire story. And right. in looking at what we had, she figured, she was like, yo, man, this could be like, you know, why, why don't we just like take what we have, use it as a, as a web series, put that up and then see, you know, what we can make of it and see if we can maybe make more, get a bit more money and then make a longer thing. Right. Um, and I realized at that point that like even what I'd written was actually quite neatly split, split upable yeah. into three parts and those narratives were quite... Quite like, well, yeah, it wasn't intentional, but those things came together really well. Yeah. So it turned into a web series. And the plan now is to really finish the arc of Mr. Mankwa's story. Because Mr. Mankwa is supposed to be this guy who appears for a second, does the things before most people are doing the things, the dancehall things, and disappears before the thing can become a thing. He's like one of those guys who paves the way, but never like... Never gets the credit. Yeah, he never gets any credit. So what the web series did was essentially just introduce this character, but 
what we're trying to do is to shoot the rest of the thing so that we tell the rest of the story, at least by the end of the year, yeah. so that you know what actually happened to this character and why they disappeared. Because the premise of even the web series is that this guy is not around. You, yeah. know? you talk yeah. to everyone who was in his life, um, who will tell you who he was and what he was like, but he himself is just not around. Yeah. So the feature length will be just grow, developing that story further and actually delving into who this person was. Um, why they did what they did, why they disappeared, the things that are complicated about their life, why this film is being made in the first place, who's behind the camera, what motivates them. There's almost this like meta narrative going on. Like you said, how, because he's not there in all that I watched, like I, I maybe saw like glimpses of the character, but then it's very obvious to the viewer, at least to the viewer that knows that it's you who's behind this. I think it's a great storytelling. Like someone is invested in seeing where you pop up, you know, like wh- where do you arrive in your own story? You don't give it away too easy. Like, oh, this is the person that you want to see. It's more like investigate this world, these very authentic characters. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad it comes across that way. I thought that doing it as a mockumentary would make it actually easier to do. Yeah. Because in my mind, it was sit a few people down in one place and then you get the camera on them. You don't have to move it around much. Yeah. <clears throat> you just get them to run through a shitload of lines. And I did find that like, you know, it was on a case by case basis, of course it wasn't the same situation for everyone, but I found there was a lot of dialogue that we were able to, a lot of pages of script were able to clear honestly through just being sitting in one place, uh-huh. getting those bits right and just running through them. Yeah. But there's also, like, we lost the advantage of having someone that you play off of. So we did have a, an interviewer behind the camera who was supposed to interject from time to time, and it was part of the script. But they're often huge chunks of dialogue where they'd just be telling a story or they'd just be, they'd be really comfortable and the character's supposed to be flying, but the actor's just like, man, that's like half a page of dialogue. Goddamn, you know? Right. That's like, right. and it would be so much easier for them if they had someone to kind of play off of in that moment and kind of, of have an actual thing to help them cue the lines, remember the lines. For me, the documentary thing was, one, I thought it was easy. And two, I like I like form. I like being able to like identify like a form and replicate it or like take away the things that I like about it and try to recreate it. And this was really great doubly because we could both recreate the form of documentaries, which I have to some extent worked with and worked on through working in TV and stuff, but also the the form of really old, really old home video footage and photos. And just like, I like that thing where the things that you kind of take for granted, you're able to kind of like zero in on and figure out what makes them them, what makes them for like everything else generally. How are you able to listen to a dancehall song and identify, okay, this is dancehall. Um, and I, I like being able to just like, take those different things and over time watch them, break them down, observe them, and then try to recreate the things that I found interesting about them. Yeah. When I watch it with people and when people kind of come back, there seems something about the imitation of that form and the recognizability of it. Yeah. The fact that, yeah, man, that's that's how documentaries seem. Even if I can tell this is fake, that's how documentaries seem. It seems like something that that, yeah, people respond positively to. But it was just really interesting breaking those familiar things down. Yeah. It's also a way to draw people in, you know, like the documentary form was one that I think 
it's recognizable to anyone who would be watching something mm. that maybe they didn't have the context to understand, right? If someone just said, "Oh, like I'm watching this documentary about this guy in Uganda, this he disappeared. This seems interesting." And then you get into it and then you realize it's not maybe what you think it is. And even the dance hall element is something that I think allows someone to latch on. There there are these elements in what might seem like an unfamiliar world that are hooks that can draw people into something that they have maybe never experienced before. Uh you briefly mentioned working in TV. I'm curious what that experience was and, and how did it inform what you do? Man, I, I it wasn't long. It wasn't long at all. It was a couple of months. I mean almost about a year actually. Mm-hmm. I worked with this production company developing a show for a show for TV and it was um a business show and we were would go out and interview these people who do business things and um break that down, compile it and I'd do like I'd write like a soft edit for it. And I was I get essentially planning the shoots, but then also planning writing out the edits and stuff. So I felt like I was present through a big part of the process. And it was essentially a documentary, you know. You you have your people sitting down doing the interviews, you have a couple of voiceovers, you have external shots of this and that, and just to keep it interesting and not too monotonous. But throughout doing that, um, you see a lot go wrong, you know. And for me who like really enjoys like messing with form and stuff it's in those moments when things go wrong that things are really interesting you know that i find that form particularly interesting when um when a character is hesitant when a, an interviewee is hesitant to give an answer or is speaking in like one word giving you one word answers and isn't elaborating on what they mean or what they're talking about when um a camera goes dead when the boom enters the frame when um the edit goes wrong we had this issue where very often we'd need to like shorten an interview or someone would be speaking very very slowly and i was very liberal with like yeah let's just put some jump cuts in you know it's fine it's <laughs> yeah. like people know it's a documentary yeah but the tv station i was working with was very not about that uh-huh. they didn't mess with that at all they were like there's too many jump cuts in here and i personally felt like that made it seem cooler and more authentic and more yeah. um honest and you know yeah. but making this for me was a kind of an, also an opportunity to do all those different things that i thought would have been really really interesting but couldn't happen in that very like formal tv type environment so that very much became the birth of your style would you say or it led to the eventual form that this particular show took on Yeah, yeah, I think it did in a big way. And I watching other documentaries, I remember watching What We Do in the Shadows which has just turned into a TV series now um about 2 years ago I think. And I thought it was great and like everyone loves the office and I, in my own films I really like breaking the waking the fourth wall sometimes and the film being more honest in and of itself and it felt to me like documentaries and mockumentaries were the most honest and I felt like we could get away with a lot there's a lot that wouldn't have to necessarily be perfect um you could shoot a character and still have their like lapel mic showing even if if you're shooting like a super like straight lace square documentary you'd try to like hide all that stuff and hide the fact that the thing is being made. Yeah. But I just kind of wanted to make a very 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 honest thing where you know we're making a film, you know. Yeah. You know we're making a film and we know you you know and it's we have a much more interesting conversation I think when you know all the cards are on the table in that way. Yeah. 
sure I keep my lady beside me, hang my head at the door Unrequited, unimpeded, unsaid Like an upward kept secret That's the best way to leave things I'm Full Full Condition is an annual compilation album presented by Tangaza Magazine, showcasing the sonic diversity of rising East African musicians. The song playing now is called Air Castle by Ugandan artist Mwami. If you like what you hear, you can listen to the rest of the album at tangazamagazine.com or by searching Full Full Condition on any of the major streaming platforms. But I guess my curiosity is also about like how people who people who maybe unlike you maybe haven't seen the live show haven't been given the the brief background um in context how they receive the the show because even going back to the issue of um of not revealing the character first beforehand and not being super like on the nose about it yeah i kind of got the sense that it might be a bit of a disadvantage for people who might not necessarily and this is also from listening to like various criticisms of the thing yeah. from people who might not be familiar with the character and familiar with me and what I've been doing personally how would they feel kind of jumping into the thing and that's the part that I I'm really curious about if I had money I'd have a focus group what how, what's someone's reception of the story when they just jump into that visual part of the story without all the extra meta context that kind of you know makes it an inside joke or makes it um and i know that there's probably no answer but yeah that's a very real concern for me an artist profile used for mr mark was performance describes the act as so quote mr mark was a fictional 90s dancehall dj whose esoteric toasting gained him notoriety with one legendary album before he abandoned music and joined a psychedelic cult However, slicked back, Kenyan music producer has coaxed Mr. Mangwa back to the real world to create one final album, along with an exclusive performance at Nyega Nyega 2018, end quote. It never seems self-indulgent or overly performative. It seems like an inside joke that Malcolm is always in control of, continuously bringing it to life in every medium he can get his hands on. All the while, coming to these manifestations of character purely through experimentation, and love of the process. There doesn't seem to be any grand scheme at the bottom of the display. The character isn't gimmicky, nor is it esoteric and over the top. The premise is simple and speaks purely but only of the world that Malcolm designs. While there is minor social commentary contained within the authenticity of the characters, there's never some overt message being shoved down your throat. I, I think that, that's a thing that could definitely become more of a thing. You know that Nigerian guy, Labaja? I don't think I'm saying his name right. L-A-G-B-A-J-A. He's like, I, I'm just, I'm thinking now, he's like maybe the only artist I can think of who just like disguises his identity. No one really knows who he is, but he's kind of a big deal. On my end, I think for, for one, it might be like a very subconscious, just not wanting to also be too much at the forefront because where I'm actually most comfortable is behind the camera. Right. Um, and I don't think it was maybe a very conscious thing, but I'm sure it had something to do with just the fact of my feeling so much more comfortable directing than acting or even performing. Uh, but I, I do really genuinely like that thing in a film where you're aware of who you're supposed to be focusing on and you're aware of who, where, what you're supposed to be, you know, um, preoccupied with. But the more that, I guess it's a sort of delayed gratification to some some extent, you know, yeah. when you don't, when it doesn't happen and you don't get it, but you're still interested enough in the story anyway. Yeah. I find that thing can be really interesting because it just builds up who this character is until when you do finally see them, hopefully 
is re- even more rewarding than if you see them in the first five minutes of the thing. True. I mean, I think I think you definitely make it work. Like, there's there's something to be said about playing to one's strengths. You know, <clears throat> there's there's many people who maybe the music is good and maybe they have a creative eye, but like they're not the most packageable person you know they're not like oh you can just put them in front of this and you can sell them but yeah when you have other creative skills you can work around that limitation and i I think that's a crux to what we're saying here is that like a limitation can often be the the key to building a certain world like working within yeah um certain constraints allows for you to make do in a certain way i think last time you were talking about how there's a there's a lot of learning on the job with your crew there's like things that you know you don't know how to do and you know some people are not going to know how to do but we're going to have to figure it out i think some of that creates elements that you couldn't have made up you couldn't have never instilled those things exactly it's always a tricky thing for an artist to build and thread these meta narratives and give dimension to their work mostly because they have to win the audience over, have them believe in the ideas, make it as tactile and fleshed out as it appears to the artists themselves. It's not enough for artists to merely create performative alter egos and half-formed versions of unconvincing characters. They have to make the worlds that these characters inhabit just as encompassing as the central figures themselves. I don't know if we actually live in a time where where the, the appearance of the thing is much more important than the thing. Maybe we always have, but maybe you know what he's saying is this something that was true for the for for Elvis. You know, I, I'd be wondering about how you know where you draw the line between a character who is really self-professing as a character because you might not know who they actually are, like an MF Doom, and a character who like is rapping things, but you're like that might not actually even be your real life. You know. And even if that is your life, there's still a very conscious like projection of a certain aspect of your character that you kind of tune up and that you present to the world. A brand seems like a character of just, you know, a conscious projection of character, if that makes sense, where you're kind of aware that, okay, I have these strengths and I have these weaknesses and I can present myself as being this, having come from ABCDFG and still use my real name and use my real everything. Artists who don't see themselves as brands sometimes are just so aware and so self-aware and so self, and I don't mean self-conscious in a bad way, but just so self-aware that they're able to be more effective with the way that they deliver the things that they deliver. You know which things to play up and which things to play down and which things to really emphasize. The aesthetics of your various works, you said dance hall and a lot of, I feel, authentic and maybe nostalgic African or Ugandan elements are very present in your work. I can't remember his name. There's a character who was speaking about their father. Uh, His father was a guitarist in Congo? Yes, yes, yes. That was the character. And like, there was something that he kept on saying more frères. Like he would speak like a, like just a, a splash of French. For me, like these are like the small details that really made it real. It felt, it felt lived in, you know. Cool. Wait, let me run the vibe, it's no race Give yourself some time to check face You can keep bad energy far away Hey, okay Full Full Condition is an annual compilation album Presented by Tangaza Magazine Showcasing the sonic diversity of rising East African musicians The song playing now is called Two of a Kind By Kenyan artist Mao 
If you like what you hear, you can listen to the rest of the album at tangazamagazine.com or by searching Full Full Condition on any of the major streaming platforms. I think sometimes, man, a real problem that like like filmmakers have that comes from like the very like capitalistic nature of the thing that we do is, man, so many times efficiency just turns into cutting away some of the things that make the thing feel different, you know, feel a bit more real. You often have, for example, when 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 you make the thing, you direct the thing, your producers will probably come in and say, "Okay, you need to cut a bunch of shit out, right? If this doesn't advance the story or like really illuminate the character, you know, then that has to be cut out." And yet, there's certain ways that certain small details, even if they don't take the story anywhere, even if they don't give you super specific information about the character that feeds into the story or that is relevant to where the story is going, it still makes the world feel a bit more. I guess that you know as you say authentic it makes the world feel a bit more and sometimes you do end up I think sacrificing that efficiency for authenticity or sacrificing authenticity for efficiency and that's a shame I feel like there's so much to African characters I don't I, I say that with like a broad brush but how much detail that you could fill these characters with that like the rest of the world has never seen you know yeah man and i th- i think even that idea of like um of of universal universality yeah or even kind of reducing from some of the specifics of a character their like contextual specifics yeah and assuming that that makes a thing more universal is it's a really big fallacy in our like in film you know in film and a lot of cultural things that we create we have this idea that if i make my thing overly ugandan people who are not from uganda won't understand and yet i actually feel like things that are super super specific are understandable on a level that's not even like like you watch a thing from if you watch a thing from from nigeria watch a thing from india and it will have they might say a thing about a thing that you know is a culturally specific thing you can tell from the way that they said it yeah and you can't tell exactly what it is but there's something that feels very real yeah and sometimes even very relatable about it you know true there's a sense very that true. like even if you guys might call it something different even if you guys might treat it differently there's still a certain sense of that similarity that comes out of that specificness that i think can actually be even more like universally appealing exactly just being just getting down to the truth of I don't say the essence, but like just being as honest as you can be about what makes the thing the thing, yeah. what makes the thing different, what makes it special to you. I think that actually can have the opposite effect. Uh, to speak on that, like your characters um, would at times speak in Luganda and you would translate them. In the writing process, I I particularly don't like that thing where you write for a character in the language you're most comfortable in and then have them translated okay but i feel like there's certain nuances that you still want to communicate that can only be communicated in that language right and i'm not a very proficient speaker of luganda i don't i it's like maybe my it's like fourth language i don't <laughs> speak it very well but i do get by and i understand what people are saying and i understand like i, I can have a conversation but it just it will be a bit of a struggle Yeah. But I still try to like write in Luganda even if it's really shit because I I I feel when I'm able to workshop and like actors I find actors just like they laugh and they give me a lot of shit for it um but I feel like there's a lot that you don't lose when you don't take it wholesale from English and then translate it back in Luganda. Oh, okay. There are a lot of back and forth, a lot of misunderstandings, you know that I feel like there's small small nuances that that like 
you only get in that specific language because certain words sound a certain way or, yeah. you know, when you're actually in that character's headspace, there's a way that language just complicates the way they, they communicate. But if you had to just translate it back, there's a lot that you would lose. I see. So uh, what ends up happening usually is that I'll write it out in, in Luganda or Rutoro and um, in rehearsals with the actors, they will they'll ask me what this means, what I was trying to mean by that, what this was supposed to communicate, what they need to keep, what they need to retain, what they can change. And we usually work through that so that by the end of the rehearsal, there is like a completely different take on the dialogue. Wow. And I find those like improvised bits that the actors themselves come up with. It literally sounds like you have multiple writers doing the thing and there's nothing, there's the few things better, you know, than getting the real... And when you think about it, you and I having this conversation, if it's, this was scripted out, you and I are both writing our own dialogue. And that's what makes it complicated and interesting and dynamic. And when it just comes from like one person's mind, there's a certain consistency that it starts to develop, even if you try to make your characters really distinct. So when the actors come through with their own take and they come through with their own way of saying a thing or their own way, still knowing what it was supposed to communicate or was, where it was supposed to go, those parts get the best reactions out of audiences, man. Artists combining various art forms and utilizing various platforms aren't new. Donald Glover, Tyler the Creator, Janelle Monet, Tierra Wack are all examples of artists gaining traction on the authenticity and commitment to the worlds they share. Mr. Manqua emerges as an interesting figure in all of this. With only five songs, three episodes, and two music videos out, Malcolm has a broader grasp on the world his characters inhabit much earlier in his career than his more Western counterparts. The layers he can build, the mediums he can explore, the platforms he can utilize, all have an endless set of possibilities. But he seems to be content finding his way there through happy accidents and engaging his community through organic collaboration. Thank you for joining us for this season of Tangazas in Transit. I hope you've learned one or two things about the East African creative scene. It's been a pleasure being your host. My name is Isaac. You can follow me on all socials at also called Ishaq. That's I-S-H-A-Q. I'd like to thank our production team, Arcade Productions, GB Mystical Productions, and Ampersand. I hope you'll stick around for the next season. Coming soon. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. This is a GB Mystical Production.